0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Michael and Mom Talk Cancer. I'm your official host, Michael Kramer, and
1: I am Ashley, Michael Kramer's mom, and we are so excited because today we have Matthew Zachary. Woo!
0: Yes, we know a lot about you. Not to sound stalkerish, but we have... <laughs> you do sound like a stalker, Michael. We went down the Matthew, oh my God. The Matthew Zachary rabbit hole and we've been very impressed. <laughs> but we want you to tell our viewers and our listeners who you are and kind of Other how... than
1: super famous in the cancel world, so famous.
0: Well, first, thank you for having me. And
2: hello- <laughs> I know, we're not listeners. even letting you talk. <laughs> That's fine. Hello, <laughs> listeners. Uh, you're listening to a fabulous podcast. You have phenomenal hosts and uh, apparently a famous guest
0: today, but I appreciate yes.
2: all the digging you've done. It's a It's a privilege to be here, so-
0: Uh, What I specifically want to ask you first off is, how did you find out you had cancer? What were your symptoms?
2: I had the strangest diagnosis of brain cancer that could ever possibly have been figured out because I was a pianist at the time that I had symptoms. And my earliest symptom was I lost some minuscule fine motor coordination in my left hand. And normally that wouldn't be an issue for people or doctors or whatnot. But at the end of the day, like it was the earliest thing that indicated something was wrong with me. And the fact that it was only in my left hand was even more bizarre. Yeah. So I do not hold accountable the hysteria of comedy tragedy that befell me not having been properly diagnosed for as long as I had been. Because I didn't yeah, cause have... Because we've what heard
1: even... your, your Robitussin story. Yeah. Well, I mean, the <laughs> yeah.
2: that, that's part of the Shakespearean comedy of terrorists is like, you know, but it's it's funny now. Yeah. But I, I <clears throat> you know, logic in hindsight is like, I can't really fault them. They, why would they have any idea that mm-hmm. I had a brain tumor growing in my cerebellum because my left hand didn't work as a pianist? The irony is eventually I had what real symptoms, right? <laughs> actual things that, we're like, oh, you you lost your speech and your eyes went crossways and you fainted and had a stroke and all of these. Okay. Now there's something really wrong with Matt. And yeah, that's because, kind of wait, where you were you started. were
1: twenty you were twenty one, right? You were a senior. I was, yeah, was
2: twenty one in college, yeah.
1: Okay. I just want everyone else to know that.
2: Yeah, this was uh in the early days before there was an internet. <laughs> right. There
1: was an internet week. You're not that old. There was internet, just not like like it is now. It was like
2: AOL dial-up and Netscape Navigator. That wasn't the internet. That was like giving Steve Case, you know, (gasps) twenty bucks a month to get a, you know, free forty hours or whatever it is of AOL.
1: That is so funny, and that is true. And I actually remember those days. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say much about that. But yeah, so how? So what did happen? I know, I know you have a, you went to a few different healthcare providers. Couldn't get a correct diagnosis, and then what exactly did happen?
2: I got very lucky. I got very lucky. Um, well, I was on Staten Island at the time. I was a senior in Binghamton, so my, I grew up on Staten Island. Once I had real symptoms, I went back to my pediatrician, who said, "Yeah, there's something wrong with you. Let's go get you like um, what was it, EEGs, the the neurology things." Right. Um, okay. And then <laughs> I don't think I've told this story in a long time. I went to Dr. Alan Perel. I don't know I remember this. That there are parts that still remember things, then I can't remember what I did like 10 minutes ago.
1: Yeah, duh. Yeah, we we know that vibe. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yep. Preach in the choir.
1: Chemo brain. It is it's, a real thing. It's,
2: it's interesting. Yeah. So I went to see yes. Alan Perel, and I was like so barely functional neurologically at this point now. I couldn't <sighs> use my my left hand. It was I was dizzy. I couldn't. My, my walking gait was pretty much gone. I had peripheral vision issues. And oh I went in there for the test. I threw up on him <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> when I was there. Wow. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I can help him. You need an MRI. So we got a prescription for an MRI. And, and for the listeners, for historical perspective, what's an MRI? This was the 90s. What is right. this thing right. you call an MRI? Oh, you sit in a yeah. tube with no music in a vacuum for two hours and they zap your brain with magnets. Oh, fantastic. That's kind of oh what that God. was. But I'm telling you the 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 longer version of the short story because it's relevant to this narrative today, which is the radiation on the, the sort of the radiologist. Uh, he's like, I really can't tell you what's wrong. I mean, you might have to come back later. So my mom and I went out to lunch after the the uh, MRI, and again, right. we're going to date ourselves as, as Gen Xers here. We got back to the house, and the answering machine in their bedroom was blinking. Okay, look it up, kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. They don't know what an answering
2: machine is. And sure enough, I it was the radiologist saying, get your butt back here. Uh, okay. We got to take another scan. Why? We can't tell you. So, oh my God. Um, But here's where the absolute like, unrequited luck happened, or I would almost call it improbability that this would be the case. So normally at Staten Island University Hospital in the 1990s, you wouldn't get your toenails clipped. It wasn't the place anyone went to have anything serious done. I mean, today it's a world-class hospital because they're they're pretty much all the ones in the city are. But the neurosurgeon who happened to be at the hospital exactly in that window of the winter, spring, and summer of 1996 was Dr. Ehud Arbit, who for some reason had just left Sloan Kettering after a 30-year career. And was kind of exiting, but couldn't retire and in his mind, and was there. So I had like this world class neurosurgeon who's done like 500,000 of these surgeries on little kids with these tumors. Wow. He happened to be there. He was just, he was the guy. And he was also rabbinical and orthodox and met with us on the Sabbath on Friday, December 29th, 1995. I remember the day because. The 27th was the day of the scans and I was the day before the 26th, I was celebrating boxing day with my friend, Sarah. So it's just very weird, frozen moment in time. And he's like, yeah, you got this thing. We think it's this, we need to operate. Um, Let's do prep. And between December 29th and January 10th, you know, that was when the, what the hell's going on was going on called the school. I don't know if I'll be back. We don't know what this is. It might not be cancer. It might be. It's probably cancer, but oh my god! I'll end this story by saying that it was a relief to know that it was something that was messing with me, and I wasn't crazy. And all the people that said, "Ah, it's in your head," were right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) That is so funny.
1: How long did this go on from your first neuropathy in your left hand? How how quickly did it? Progress? This is more my curiosity. It's not really podcast material, but I'm so curious. No, it's
2: it's a good question because it it does lead up to kind of self awareness. And, you know, I I was a classically trained pianist for over a decade by then. So I knew my hands, I knew my body, I knew the feel of what sitting down, the, the, the emotional connection to the instrument. You have that after a decade of training. And I didn't play as much during the summer because you're off and you're 21 and just go having fun. Right. But I think once I got back to school is, you know, if I'm trying to put together little Guy Pierce memento chunks in my brain, you know, you start playing again all the time when you get back to school and it just didn't feel right. Okay. It just didn't feel right. And it wasn't like direct tingling, like when you sleep on your hand, but it came every now and then. It was as simple as I just couldn't. Play the scales as fast as I used to, right, and I'm like, 21. "Oh, that's weird," yeah. and then moved on. <laughs> that's what you do when you're 21. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. And move on. Uh, so it was probably six months uh, of like, "What's going on? What's wrong with me?" You know, there's nothing wrong with you. Oh, put your backpack on that shoulder. It's carpal tunnel syndrome. All these, like I said, these these funny now situations. And I had my surgery on the 10th of January. Eight hour craniotomy. They said, We got as much as we could. What does that mean? I have no idea. And we think you should probably have radiation, which at the time was the only treatment for brain cancer. And I was in pediatrics because I was under 21, even though it was 21 and a half, or whatever. And that was it. And then, like, the waiting game surgery is a whole chapter in the book, which won't be a book, but that's a different book. You know, medieval <sighs> crap, terrible crap, no pain. Just like it was. They don't do it anymore. So it's not worth really getting into. It's like right. Saw. <laughs> the movie Saw. And I was read my last rites by a priest, but I'm Jewish and he went away. True story.
1: Wow. Wait, yeah. Wow. Did you do chemo? You didn't So did you didn't you do radiation or anything before the surgery. It was like you found out about tumor. They did the surgery. And then after that, I mean.
2: Right to radiation. The,
0: okay. There was no radiation.
2: chemotherapy for brain cancer in the 1990s. It didn't so exist. Was it wasn't every... invented yet. There was okay. no gliadel or tamadar. There right. was nothing. And the Did traditional exp- platinums of the day didn't break the blood-brain barrier, which I only right. learned about through my uncle, who's a geneticist at the time, and said, don't do this. So I didn't actually turn down chemotherapy because the level of incristin in the cocktail back then would have put neuropathy back in my hands, both of them.
0: Right.
2: So this is, a again, a lengthier story. I think I told this story on my show. If there's one through-thread to 2023... It's they didn't think of me as a person. They didn't consider what was important to me first. They just rushed for their data and their publishing. And we have this kid that didn't die. So I only found out that the chemotherapy would have rendered me unable to play for the rest of my life, like a week before I was going to say yes. Because they didn't say that. We didn't know to ask side effects. We didn't know what the words chemotherapy meant. So perspective Uh is how I, I tell the story. And of course, you know, my Uncle Jay, who I owe my life to because he told me, don't do this. And I said, no, they got angry at me for saying no to them. We're trying to save your life. And like, eh, GFU. And I walked out. That was kind of my last day as a cancer patient. I consider that. But it wasn't the last day of my dealing with having been a cancer
0: patient, which, no, as we it, know, is no that keeps on
1: giving there's no last there's no last day, though, no last right? day. isn't that is, so do the they thing. tell you
0: why they think you got brain cancer is there any like definitive reason behind it they think because when i got blood cancer they said which is my, very different they said i could have had mm-hmm. mono it could have just the cells could have kept fighting but i have no idea how brain cancer works and i'm just curious to understand how they explained it to you because you must have been like how did i get this as a 21 year old in school because that's similar to me. I was 19 when I was diagnosed, and I was in school as well. I was in college. Out of the blue, I was just like, how could this happen to me?
2: With the wisdom I have today, I know for a fact that all pediatric brain tumors are bad luck. Nothing causes right. them. Right. That's what we've heard. And no mother wants okay. to hear that, but that's the truth of this. Right. My particular tumor was called the medulloblastoma. It's one of the rarest of the rare because you're born with it. It's congenital, develops in utero as a mutation in your, in your brain. So okay. for some reason, this thing just sat in my brain dormant normally presents between like six and 10 years old, mostly in boys, very few medulla and girls for some reason. And the fact that I had gone that long having no symptoms of it in my head until it decided to yawn and stretch when I was 21 right, right. had never been seen before. I w- at the time, I think I was the oldest pediatric medulloblastoma patient in the country
1: wow yeah we've heard similar stories with the with someone we know that's a an older for for that kind of brain cancer which i'm sure you're well aware of yeah and someone else that we interviewed which was very interesting it was neuroblastoma they found out while she was pregnant that her child was most likely going to have it ended up like following him he never even ended up developing it and now i think he's 21
0: 22, or 21. 22 around my yeah, age he's
1: michael's age it's, it's never it's... developed it's it's it is one of those things it, it just seems like it is just bad luck but wow your story is so incredible so but can you take us to the next bit because we know you founded stupid cancer which like what happened after after your surgery after your radiation you refused the chemotherapy what happened next like what led you to stupid cancer
2: yeah, and Th- there's like a six-part weird Forrest Gump-like story that led me to stupid cancer. <laughs> I love
1: Forrest Gump, first of all. So we're all we're, we're all we're all in. Yeah,
2: like you know <laughs> the improbability of being in the right place at the right time that happened to do these things and my reaction to them. And so, so the dime store to get to stupid cancer was that I did rehabilitate myself after I was quote unquote done, but it right. took me like five years to rehab. My left hand because I yeah, it was a decade and then it was all gone. I could play ironically after surgery, but I hadn't used my hand. Uh, so it had completely lost a decade of muscle memory and, and neuroplasticity and all the things that you'd expect. Wow. Um, so I could play. I just sucked, <laughs> according to me. You know, right. no one else kinda knew, but I knew and I could never be a grad student. I was never gonna be a film composer. I had to like, you know, cast that aside. I got a job, you know, just getting by. My twenties sucked. I fixed computers and an ad agency, but I rehabbed myself and in 1997, 8, nine, if I get the years, I actually flew out to LA. To my friend's recording studio, because he did go to grad school. He was a sound engineer for film and television. And okay. I laid down like 55 or 60 songs that were just in my head. And I got, back in the day, you got DAT tapes, D-A-T, digital audio tapes.
1: My husband was a sound engineer. His there dad. you go.
2: There you go. So, so my I know exactly Mike,
1: what that is. <laughs> he, he
2: mixed, mastered, edited, and po- post-produced wow. my DAT tapes. And then I made some CDs. To myself, I just brought them out and I I put right. my songs onto albums. It was like the hold them. Cancer didn't take this away from me. This just led to something remarkable because I was on an anti-medic back then that was out of pocket called Khytril.
0: Yeah, this we was
2: know one of the Keitrel. very first <laughs> anti-medics. You know, you're welcome testing it for people.
1: Really, um, Michael's been on it. Yeah,
2: it was like eighty bucks a pill, ten a day for for two years. It was impossible wow. to get out of it. But it turns out that. It was made by Roche, and some Roche rep showed up at my doctor's office and saw my CDs on the counter and said, oh, was this. And they found that I was on Kytrell. I don't know how, HIPAA, thank you very much. They called me, <laughs> and they said, we want to make you a cancer celebrity. We want you to endorse Kytrell and save your life. So I got this strange wraparound experience of getting... Massive public exposure and a small healthcare bubble for the anti-emetic cancer tainer guy. Wow. But those CDs were what got me the attention of the young adult cancer survivors I wished I'd known who were already there in the Beltway politics world. And that's what's got sucked me into Livestrong, which got sucked me into stupid cancer.
1: Okay. So this is ten this is like ten years out.
2: This is,
1: yeah, no no.
2: four, five, six.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Wow. Because so many AYAs, that's what we find, is so many adolescents and young adults, I don't want to say run from their cancer, but it's like, especially when they're done, they're done. And that's what we have found with Michael, is that he is a rare 22-year-old male that's gone through this that is willing to speak out and advocate. And that was you. So did you find the same thing that there were not a lot of people that were your age going through this? Was that the whole point? Like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I didn't know what I needed to be pissed about. That was the gist. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know, you know,
2: when you don't know what you wished you had, you'd have no idea to be angry about what you didn't know you needed until you find it. And it really yeah. wasn't until the curtain got pulled back and I met all these other young adult kids, like the, everything went Technicolor, in, you know, in Oz Oh, he's like, you know, 50 or 60 young adult cancer advocates running nonprofits, doing research, working in academia. Like, where have you been, people? I'm pissed I didn't know you. Right. That was kind of like where I guess I got my gumption about this. And this was at UNC and AYA Adolescent Young Adult Cancer. It's it was the dawn of okay. just putting those words together. Again, th- through the lens of history, 20, 23 years ago, this was not a conversation. And it was Strong and the Children's Ecology Group and the Southwest Ecology Group that got together and said, we need to make AYA a thing, but we need okay. the patience to do. I'm getting to your question about why there are so few people that want to just move on. Um, but you don't need everyone to be an advocate. You need 1% to be the advocates on behalf of the 99% for whom right. they may not be wired, but they do want to get their lives back. And that's fine. And right. they deserve the dignity of that but this was the rap scallion group of like raconteurs that I wished I'd been friends with since grade school. And they encouraged me to, you know, channel my, I'm an inner entertainer. I'm a weird kind of personality. I, I I don't live in politics and they're like, you should be the voice of the young adult cancer community. You're not an academic, you're not a doctor, you're not a nonprofit guy. You're, you're just this. And I, started stupid cancer to be a generational beacon in the country for young adults at the time were gen xers in their 20s and 30s and we didn't have we still don't have recognition being gen xers in the country but that was what got me there and that was what i was able to become pissed about and create a path for people to make a difference for the next them
1: but pissed because you didn't feel like you had a voice there were two parts to it. One this, is this that about no, what?
2: no one should get robot tested for brain cancer. Well, <laughs> number one and two. Right. Of course, obviously. But the, I want to get nerdy. The data coming out of the academic young adult cancer, the nascent research, was that if you're a Gen Xer and you're you get cancer, you die way more. You suffer way more. It sucks way more. You cost the system way more for reasons that they were trying to figure out why. So okay. my mindset was: if the next me gets diagnosed in 2006, they're going to get robitussin. They're going to suffer. They're going to be isolated. They're not going to understand all this crap. And back then, you went off your insurance at 22. There's nothing yeah. like getting diagnosed at 21 when you're yeah. about to turn 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, no, we have our own cancer movement, They rallied we have around our own insurance story. Yeah. So, yeah, they rallied around the rights, civil liberties. Best practice, the non-existent best practice standards of care guidelines for Gen Xers. That was the movement. That was the focus. And that was what I led as the circus ringleader guide, Stupid Cancer.
1: Did you come up with the name Stupid Cancer? I did. I figured. Nice. <laughs> it's Definitely like, it's not iconic. Weird. You're not weird. You're amazing and energetic <laughs> and interesting and fun. Oh, my gosh. We have like You a want to know the things.
2: secret behind the words? It's not really that fantastic.
1: Yeah it's course.
2: what homer simpson would say oh
1: do you know who homer simpson is of course i do okay i'm just checking no,
2: every generation knows Homer. my my 13 year old daughter studies the simpsons every day so everyone yeah. knows homer simpson i know i'm but i'm joking we watch
1: we watch south park more than we watch the simpsons yes, so i'm just yes. checking yeah, yeah. just checking. Which ha-
2: have had some great cancer episodes
1: Oh, we were just oh, watching one the other day with the medical marijuana one. Yeah. That oh, with the great. giant testicles. Yeah, that's the Oh best my one. God. That one is amazing. That's the we literally one. watched it two days ago. I this love is
2: that. Yeah, that's it. So I <One> found a question... way to be angry. Yeah. But help other people have permission to be angry. You know, giving people permission to live in this horrible nature is good for many. Some people want to glom on like Velcro. Some people want to say, when I need this. I'll need it, but it's nice to know it's there, or I just want to put it behind me. You know, back then it was still like a shadow disease. Uh, it was like, it was a different closet to hide in. Of course, HR benefits and you could get fired if you look sick. There were all these things that didn't protect people from reasonable accommodations or reconciliations or wrongful terminations. These didn't exist back then. So it was a risk That's true. to come out. Right. Melissa Etheridge sacrificed part of her music career. Sheryl Crow, you know, these are people that were like, looked at like healthcare derelicts. Like I can't go near you and listen to music give breast cancer. Yeah. So stand the can- stand up to cancer did a good job bringing that narrative off the heels of Livestrong's yellow wristband campaign. But I- I'd love to hear from you, how are Gen Zers dealing with, what are the AYA's of today like versus the geezers that we become in terms of what does advocacy mean to you because we did a lot of the legwork to have better problems today yeah I, i'm just curious if i could just ask you that question what, what is it like for ayas today the ones that do want to get involved
0: they're very involved i mean i'll tell you one thing the biggest thing i see that the difference would be between your day 20 years ago however long it was is 30 years ago actually is tiktok and instagram like mm. People can be their own advocates, not their own advocates when it comes to like talking to doctors and knowing everything that's really difficult. But when it comes to finding connection with other people, social media, Instagram, like Instagram, TikTok, apps, there's so many things out there, like Stupid Cancer. And I think their advocates are pretty good today. I mean, if I want to find someone who has something similar to me to talk to them, I can look up what's pretty hard to find yours but you can
1: find right like I can find someone who's been through something I've been
0: through by looking it up on Instagram like or TikTok it's it's, advocates are good but I see a lot of people who come and they go really quickly like I lead a support group for cancer patients and I will see people join my group they get through treatment and never talk to them again you know
1: and they move on which is which is good which is good yeah
0: yeah we want them to live their life you know not everything's about cancer
2: but you're echoing a lot of the stuff that we saw in, in different fashion back then because when we, we had these massive trade shows i mean CancerCon is here today but back in vegas we had like a thousand people before like things you can't get away with anymore and we would right. see you know maybe maybe 60 percent people that came back And then 30% came back and then 10% came back. But having 90% new registrations is a good problem to have because you seem maybe you serve the needs of those who attended that. I'm not saying, Oh, you're fine. Go home. It's this is what they needed to experience. And then it's okay that they go their own way and live their life.
0: Yeah.
1: It is okay. But it, but it is also something that look at you 27 years later, you are still in this world. I mean, also that's your personality. And I see that with Michael. I see that with myself. I think that's part of our personality is that we take, but we also see people that it's just like, it's over, but then I know inside it's not over. So I think it does help to have like cancer con out there. It helps that Michael has his support group Mm -hmm. because at least there is someone they can talk to. Maybe they're not talking to their friends from high school or from college or that they work with, but at least they're talking to Michael on that group or caregivers. I can say the same for me, but I know we're talking more about AYA's today. So I, but caregivers,
2: how do you find where where are the Gen X patients of, of children? I say children, like young adults or, you know, 20 something now. We used to struggle with this too, because, you know, my parents were 47 when I was diagnosed. They're 77 now. and right. But they <clears throat> there were very few parents of young adults back in the 2000s that wanted to be part of support for themselves as caregivers. And I think only until recently, we moved from rehabilitation to survivorship to mental health. I, I, do you think it's fair to say that people are more aware that they have the opportunity to be have permission to be caregivers for themselves?
1: Uh, do you mean his age? for That he can be well, a caregiver for himself? I mean, you, you're, himself?
2: You're the care, I mean you, you'll become less of a caregiver as he grows up, hopefully, as I, I will become less of a caregiver to my children.
1: Of course.
2: But of the course. trauma is always there.
1: The trauma is always there. And I think one thing is, I mean, I see. A, I know we're going on different topics, but one thing I see which is good, there is more outpatient, there is more telemedicine, there is a lot of progression, but I think that in a way, that's harder because often it puts more on the caregiver at mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. to know what's going on. And I see that, you know, when Michael has been in the pediatric hospital, they're more likely... To be more hands-on, he's both at a pediatric and an adult hospital. And sometimes at the adult hospital, I I feel there is a bigger pressure on me sometimes because mm-hmm. they are more offhand. Right. So and I, you know, how many? There's like millions. I looked it up recently. 13 million caregivers. It, I, I could be totally wrong on that. In, in the United States, that aren't getting paid for what they're doing, yeah. and have a you know a lot of them are working doing that on top of a job on top of on top of the rest of their family, and it's a lot. It's a full time. It's a full time job, and a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And a lot of the caregivers have a really hard time taking time for themselves, which. So it's I, even though I encourage them, I understand because I don't either. Yeah. So I I get that. I mean, that's why we're a team, Michael and mom, because then you get two perspectives for the price of one. Exactly. <laughs> yes, Matthew, Zachary. We're going to be at Cancer con, and we're so excited.
2: Oh, have fun in Atlanta. I wish I could be there this year. I just can't go.
1: Oh, where's so sad, You're not going to be there. Oh my God. Do you want to ask? We have some yeah. questions that we wanted to ask. Oh,
2: please. Go, go
1: so ahead. We want to just like ask you a few things. This is a loaded Lightning
0: question. This is, this is a loaded question, by the way. Uh-oh. Just get prepared. So There's a list right I always in front like, of me. I like to think about this. Not too much, but I do think about this sometimes. So if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do today? Like you knew you were going to die tomorrow. That was going to
1: be the last question, Michael Kramer. Ah. He skipped ahead. There were so many but, but that is a really good one.
2: I'd hug my kids.
1: Aww, all day. Yeah,
2: I get. I actually, I I eat Carvel all day and I hug my kids.
1: <laughs> Carvel? Do you know what Carvel? No, is? I have no idea. I didn't think so. I Carvel's, know Carvel's like Carvel Dairy Queen, Queen in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. Um, okay. But do you have? This was one of the things I wanted to ask you. I mean, for Michael, it's he's still in treatment, but he has still. You know, we joke about chemo brain. He's going through still a lot of side effects. Do you have, 27 years later, do you still have the, I know the mental, forget it, it's there forever, I would think. Yeah, my
2: brain is tapioca pudding, but the rest of me is surprisingly well. Okay.
1: That was my question for you. No one understands
2: how I have the heart of it, like a 22-year-old, and I I didn't lose any lung capacity. I mean, they radiated my entire body up and down the spine, and- you know, I lost my fertility for a while. I, I probably am still semi-infertile. My children are a whole other story of miracle IVF success through okay. advocacy. Yeah. Above the neck, it's a it's a red hot mess and I've managed it. <laughs> you know, everything, you know, there's cognitive functions, executive deficits. There's, you know, there's all sorts of stuff I've learned to manage. Okay. And that people have a lot of empathy to work with me for because they know, like, I don't make mistakes on purpose and, and miss cues and things like that. But Outside of needing to lose twenty pounds like every other American, or maybe maybe twenty five pounds, pays, perhaps, for my summer permission.
1: Michael, just give it to Michael. He wants those twenty five yeah. pounds. He's so I, I'm the
2: opposite. You know, like every day above the grass is a good day, and I'll take. There it. you go. Right, right.
1: But every once in a while, so you make a mistake, you can just like pull out and go cancer. There's well, that
2: all right, I'm going to channel. I'm my just aging. joking. I'm no, just no, joking. you're not because it's like the Agent Gen X card competes with the late effects card, and they cross yeah, right. over. Where you can't have excuses for either anymore.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. Well, what is your biggest challenge now? What is it? What is your biggest challenge now?
2: Well, you're catching me at a wonderful moment in my career, because i I sold a book deal to Mayo Clinic. I think you saw that, or maybe you didn't. I, I don't know
1: if Michael saw, I that. I saw that. I
2: actually uh, didn't see that. I saw it, and I was like,
1: a, "Oh it's, yeah, it's,
2: yeah." I mean i I spent ten years building up to spending 13 years in nonprofit. And then I spent the last four years in the digital health pandemic, post pandemic startup world, doing podcasting for patients. And I, I did a doc, I'll do a plug for my documentary called the cancer Mavericks. It was an eight part narrative series we did with, um, former PBS had a podcast. It's a history series, 50 years in America of citizen activism and healthcare. It's not my story. It's just like an American story. And I, mentioned Stand Up to Cancer before, but I worked very heavily with them behind the scenes to get Gen X buy into what they were trying to do to kind of mess with the American <laughs> Cancer Society. They did a good job with that. But while I was producing the documentary, one of the episodes featured um, my late, the late Laura Ziskin from Stand Up to Cancer, the Sony Sony Pictures award-winning producer, Hollywood Maven. And I got to talk to the Council of Founders, who I've known for a long time now. And th- they are the ones that gave me... <clears throat> What I didn't know I needed, which is this this boost, that I'm I'm really rare. There are so few comic piano playing nonprofit <laughs> bodies are buried unicorns marketing people. <laughs> and that wait, is that I, your bio? <laughs> I, I just make you can own that. That's that's, that's I love that's, that. That's, that's it's a good bio. Is you know I need to write a book for the country, and okay. it's not my story. There are so many. Cancer book stories, which are fine, but the country needs a new healthcare hero, I think was their words, or like a Ralph Nader meets John Stewart. I like, that's pretty cool. Let's do this. And they're like, that's the book. So they put nice. me in motion with one of their writer friends, and I've spent the last year or so writing this proposal. I signed with Trident Media Group, which is weird to say I have a literary agency. <laughs> never thought it's those so words cool. would come out of my mouth. The book is called Permission to be pissed, and it'll be probably dropping end of 2024 early 2025 pre sales okay. hopefully fall of 2024 no promises listeners it sent me on a wonderful new trajectory i mentioned like you're catching me at this wonderful moment for the show today it's good that it happened now before i wouldn't have had to say this a couple of weeks ago and i decided to step down and from then the in now. a few
1: weeks you're going to be too famous for us oh, so this please. is the perfect timing. I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm stepping now from the from the from the private sector startup world i'm launching my own new production company and wow. I'm moving, into, moving more heavily into my show, public speaking engagements, and I now can do strategy consulting for pharma clients and life science clients because I'm not tied to anything anymore. So it's nice to show right. up having all this. My dad would say I have good lint in my roller. I have all <laughs> these things to give to them that I've accrued, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I be, I'll be writing the book with my writer for the next year. So that's... Where I'm at right now, I'm in a wonderful place. I've been very intentional. I'm way less jaded than I used to be for a Brooklyner.
1: For um, I was going to say Staten Island.
2: I don't always mention that. <laughs> Back then, it was decent to live there. Today, you wouldn't pay me to live there. But it was a decent place to grow up in the
1: 80s. Wow. This is, so, I mean, I've heard you speak. And you are so funny and so entertaining and so energetic and amazing. So this is, I love this. I can't wait to read your book. We have to wait that long? This is
2: what it, I mean, dude, in the professional publishing industry, it has to get done the right way. And I've learned, I've learned almost like I got an MBA in publishing in the last year how it works, what rights look like, contracts, residuals, upfronts, you know, editors, approvals, manuscripts, submissions, all these things. I didn't need to know this stuff. I know it now. When someone writes a book, unless it's like some politician that wants it out for the election, Things take time.
1: Unless it's self-published on Amazon.
2: But well, in your Most case, people can do that. And that's fantastic. Yes, but the fact exactly. that I signed. Oh, and I signed with Mayo Clinic. So Sh- Mayo that, Clinic is wow. going to be this unabashedly extraordinary partner for their press division to help this book get out to the world and to accelerate what I hope to happen, which is let's help more Americans know right. about the cheat sheets and the life hacks and the hiding in plain sight things that. I would just call life hacks. Like I said, question your hospital bill. Here's the script. Are they a nonprofit? Is there patient assistance? There's a free person you could pay to get you reimbursed. Here's 10 people that can fight your insurance for you. These things are there, but they're unknown because they're kept. And that's not conspiratorial. They're kept from plain sight.
1: Yeah. You have to dig for them. We, we, we realize that all the time. There's so many, even a a, a dumb example, even at Michael's hospital, like there are cancer services for cancer patients at Sylvester. There's all these people don't even know about them. People don't even know about them. And, you know, unless you're the lucky one. And also I think what happens, I don't want to speak for everyone, but sometimes you're so overwhelmed in the beginning of a diagnosis. There's so many things that happen that maybe things are not hidden and they are there but you don't see them because you're being thrown with uh, so many things at the same time and i think that happened with us a lot in the beginning he had a rare diagnosis he was diagnosed very quickly and things went downhill very fast mm-hmm. started so much it, it was so quick that i feel like now we're catching up on things three years later now i'm learning we're learning so much i know our, our time is is limited Wow, so you've gone from just focusing on not just focusing on cancer, but focusing on cancer. Now this is entire healthcare. This is not just cancer. This is healthcare, like mayo clinic healthcare. That's that's huge. If there's one thing you could change in healthcare, just like one thing, like I don't care. You can have a magic wand. What would it be?
2: Oh God. Now that's a lot No, that's of a, that's a load, <laughs> that's a hard question. But I, I would don't know. if I had to pick something, you know, on the fly, uh better federal protections. For American voters to not get screwed because it's legal to screw them—that's—it's totally legal for health systems and insurance companies and pharmacy benefits managers and employers legal to screw you as a healthcare right. consumer. Um, there, there need to be better laws on the books that prevent them from
0: doing that.
1: That's a, that's a very good one, and I will agree with you. Um, is there something? else?
0: Yeah, we'll ask one last question. Okay. All right. What's your favorite book? I have
2: three, and it's like picking your favorite child. Well, you have to. I have
1: three children, and would you ask me to pick my favorite child?
2: Well, yes, it's because it's me. No, it's not. It's fun. It's
1: all three Uh, of them.
2: Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People.
1: Yeah, that's a, of course, that's a a fabulous Uh, book.
2: A book called Disruption by Jean Marie Drew, who is the founder of Chai Tay in France, a true revolutionary book on marketing in america okay. it differentiated by history in other countries and pea patch island my favorite book my mom read to me as a kid
1: oh i was gonna say is that a children's book
2: it's a children's book my mom read it to me pretty much every night
1: oh I love growing that. up
2: it, it was like one of those like giant books like 18 inches tall and you know the yeah. foot wide and just opened up huge
0: Oh, uh, just that.
2: fun. I mean, I could pick twenty books from my childhood. Like Catcher in the Rye I was like defining for me, but like Pea Patch yes. Island holds this one place in my heart. Um, and I yeah. read it to my
0: kids and they'll read it to their kids.
1: That's and, what I was gonna say. Yeah. Is that a book Wait, have that you, you read to have your you
0: team? seen the South Park episode about Catcher in the Rye? No.
2: I mean, I'm <laughs> oh, sure I have it's been thirty years since okay. I've been watching it. But okay, yeah. okay. Wait, how old are your kids? It's very
0: funny. Your kids they you do, have twins,
2: I, right? I have boy girl twins, they just turned thirteen. They just try, oh goodness, fun age, woohoo! Yeah. Really fun age, yeah, yeah.
1: No, it is. It's a great. Every age is great. I want to just ask on that. So you were our concert pianist' favorite song,
2: Rhapsody in Blue.
1: Oh, beautiful. Okay, we should end. That's on That's an that. easy answer. That's beautiful. I just feel so lucky that we spoke. Yeah, with thank you,
0: you so much for coming before on the you podcast. got too
1: famous to be on oh, our come podcast. On. <laughs> I
0: don't ever
2: want to be that guy that's unapproachable.
1: No, you're not. I'm sad. I was hoping you were going to be at CancerCon. I'm a little sad about that. But
2: yeah, I, I, I regrettably have a conflict. I let, I let Allison, the CEO, know. And uh, if by some random chance I could crash it, I will come down for a day or two. But it's unlikely right now.
1: If you do, we're hugging you.
2: Okay. That's a deal.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. You're just amazing. I just want to suck in all your energy. I think I could talk to you for about two more hours, but we're trying to be respectful of your time. Yeah.
2: No, it's it's been a pleasure. I, if any of this matters to your listeners, you can't just become an advocate. No one can snap into advocacy. You shouldn't have to go through hell to figure that out. But it's nice to know there could be people there to kind of tether the rope to the pier for you that swam without
1: that before you yeah that's a beautiful that's a beautiful way of putting it for the beautiful metaphor thank you thank you so
0: much you. my pleasure it's been
1: such a joy speaking with you
0: and this is um, official goodbye from your host michael
1: no <gasps> wait a second i have what? to stop you Uh-oh. how do people get in touch with you i'm oh, gonna put yes. it in show notes Sorry. but i wanted to oh ask- that's
2: easy i'm the first 14 pages of a google search
0: matthew zapper <laughs>
1: Matthew Zachary okay it'll be in the show notes this is an official goodbye
0: Michael Kramer go for it it's an official goodbye from your host Michael Kramer and
1: and his mom Ashley and thank you so much thank you. it was such a joy to have you Matthew thank we you we love you guys you.